One of the best parts of being a college professor is seeing my students grow from recent high school graduates into young professionals ready to embark on a new career. Students in the cybersecurity management program here at the York College of Pennsylvania are required to complete a research project into a cybersecurity related topic of their choice. My students choose really interesting topics, investigating ethics of technology, the viability of public policy, dark web activities, data privacy and vulnerabilities, cybercrime, the perception of risk and how it impacts cybersecurity, consulting frameworks for cybersecurity, and just about any other topic you can imagine. On this episode of WMD, I'm doing something a little different. Five of my students, Matt DeSoy, Ty Foster, Jack Griffin, Colin Harris, and JJ Soik, decided to get together and discuss their research and how it has impacted their professional development. They're getting ready to head into their final semester and begin looking for their first jobs. It was such a joy to listen to their conversation because it was clear these five students are really beginning to think like cybersecurity professionals. They are definitely adulting, and I can't wait to see where they land after graduation. I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I did. All right, my name is JJ Soik. Um, I'm a senior cybersecurity management major. We got a good group of us here together today to discuss our senior thesis papers and our um, final topics that we discussed throughout a entire semester. Uh, we explored a variety of issues, and today we're going to be having a conversation, trying to create some connections between our different issues. So now we can go around the table and maybe let everybody introduce themselves. My name is Matt Desoy. I am a cybersecurity management major, senior here. Um, I did my senior research on mobile payment apps. Uh, the five payment apps I did are Venmo, PayPal, Google Pay, Apple Pay, and Cash App. I'm Colin Harris, and I'm a cybersecurity management major. Uh, I did my paper on the application of the MITRE ATT&CK framework at different contexts of cybersecurity. I'm Jack Griffin. I'm a senior cybersecurity management major. Uh, for my senior thesis, my topic is the effect of cybercrime in the United States, and my research question is how uh, how has the dark web created new business opportunities <laughs> for cyber criminals? Um, my name is Tyler. Uh, I'm also a cybersecurity management major, and I did my topic on basically mental health AI um, usage, um, and I completed that using a consequential ethical analysis. I guess I'm never introduced the topic of my paper. Uh, mine is uh, exploring the way a company views the probability of a breach when compared to the way they view a cost of a breach and how that affects their perception of risk. So your guys' topic's kind of connected, right? JJ and Jack. Um, right. Yeah, it was kind of like just like the need for um, cybersecurity. And when I... Well, when we figured out that ours was connected was mine based off of a case study analysis that there's a whole town in uh, Romania called Hackerville. And well, obviously it's not the name of the town, but it's hard to pronounce the actual name. But mm -hmm. the, the town itself has created 
they're its own economy based off of the dark web and cybercrime. And when you see them walking down the street, it's the, when you're walking down the street, you just see complete empty nothingness, but they just have sports cars and these run down some <laughs> houses. And then we figured out that there's always a need for it. And that's why JJ and I have a similar connection to it. That's interesting. So you're walking down the street, Romania, you say it slums. Yeah. You see Lamborghinis and Bugattis. So most people that are so unplaced, these people that are making all this money are making it through hacking. Yeah, pretty much. The, the Romanian government has been pretty lax about it because they just don't know how to stop a huge economy like that. Doesn't make sense. That's like the only thing that they have going for their economy, right? Well, uh, not, it's just like more or less a town, but obviously Romania has a really strong cybersecurity framework, but they don't have the necessary capabilities to stop this economy because they just keep finding new business opportunities to, um, make the living. Mm. So, um, one of the things that they've, uh, came <laughs> up with or they've been able to do or accomplish is they hacked into the, the Bush family. They also hacked into the Rockefellers. George Bush. George Bush. Yep. All the Bushes. Yep. And the Rockefellers as well. So that's more or less just a highlight of my case study analysis. Yeah. So with your guys' papers, like, what do you, what do you, what do you think you got out of it in terms of like, what do you want to help it? Like use it in your career? Like, Honestly, I think one of the most valuable things that I learned from doing my paper um, is the, I guess, the foundation <laughs> of research in general. Mm -hmm. um, I feel that during this entire time, it allowed me to kind of get all of my convoluted thoughts into one coherent paper. Um, and, you know, really diving into the area of mental health um i feel like there's a lot of transition between not only just cybersecurity but almost every other industry as well as that's something i guess that you know needs to be prioritized when it comes to this day and age especially with all of the technology that we have um access to yeah i think what i um what i took away from mine is learning how organizations uh, perceive risk and how they respond to breaches. Um, when, when they're a victim of a breach, they pay what they have to, but they don't go above and beyond to make things right, make things whole with companies that they're not legally obligated to. So they make the decision the same way that they make the decision anywhere else. They pay what they have to, what they're legally obligated to. But when it comes to companies that depended on them for this or that, they may be out millions and millions of dollars, but they are not held accountable for that. Specifically, they're not paying. Yeah, that was part of my connection that I saw from yours is that only like some businesses can only afford what they actually are capable of buying for cybersecurity. So if you're like a medium sized business to a small sized business, you can only really buy cybersecurity that fits their structure and their size. Yeah, I guess that ties in with mine, uh, your paper, JJ, like just cybersecurity from a consulting standpoint. Um, just being able to guide a company through like their own framework and how to make it better. So I, that, that was like my original goal was to like do risk-based, like 
uh, consulting work, which is pretty much what the MITRE tag framework is. So I definitely achieved my goal in that sense and uh, thinking about cybersecurity from a management standpoint. Yeah, I think I, I kind of agree with Ty. Um, just learning <laughs> like how to research and kind of come up with your own ideas. Um, originally, I wanted to do a survey. Dr. Schwartz and I thought, you know, I could, but we didn't have the time. You know, we needed more than one semester for a survey because mm -hmm. I'd have to send them out, get the results. She wanted me to potentially use SAS, but that would have taken like a lot of time. But I think I do want to kind of continue um, my research after this semester. I'm kind of interested in working in the like finance or banking industry in cybersecurity. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention my question. It is what are the individual security settings that payment apps need to make available for their customers to um, <coughs> minimize their vulnerability. Now, you said you wanted to kind of continue your research after, um, mm. you know, here in college. Um, what would you kind of do? I guess I, I, guess I would continue with the idea of doing the survey. I think I would have gotten different results. I guess we're not really sharing our results right now. I mean, I think I would have gotten different results. Yeah, I'm one of the uh, payment apps got a lower score through a test matrix, and I think it would have gotten better results through a survey. Yeah. That's your methodology is the test matrix. Yeah. yeah, I think if we did a survey, um, I would have gotten better results for that. Yeah, certain app because their security settings really uh, impressed me. I put that in my presentation. And what uh, pay payment apps were you kind of looking at? Um, Google Pay, Apple Pay, mm -hmm. um, Cash App, PayPal, and Venmo. All right. Yeah. And what? Which one was the uh, highest on the test matrix? So there were two of them that were kind of tied: Cash App and yeah, Google Pay. I figured Cash App. Cash App, yeah. <laughs> but um, the the one that surprisingly had a low score was Apple Pay. And one of the who scores in safer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but they're they're built. They're like security settings are very strong. Mm -hmm. But the problem with Apple Pay is, um, Doctor Schwartz and I kind of figured out the more bank accounts you can have connected to a payment app, the more vulnerable you are, mm -hmm. and you can have up to eight bank accounts through Apple Pay, mm -hmm. and that's what hurt them. So <laughs> there were two different types of security settings built in security settings like encryption, and then um, cut like individual <clears throat> customization settings. Um, like turning on notifications and stuff like that. Um, so we took those two and then subtracted the account connections. So it, I think the score for Apple Pay was like zero because yeah. of those um, <sighs> connections. Apple Pay is like pretty uh, huge because your card is just like right there mm -hmm. when you're, you know, and I don't really see a lot of people using like sending money through cash, like, Apple Pay. And you can access your Apple Pay on, you know, your Mac, your Apple Watch, your iPad, your iPhone. Yeah. So that kind of makes you more vulnerable. Yeah, there's a lot of platforms that could be used yeah. against you. I also think it's interesting that almost with every other paying app, you can directly transfer the money you have on the account into your bank. Mm -hmm. um, from what I've seen, Apple Pay does not allow you to do that. Yeah, it does. It does. It's called Apple Cash. Apple Pay is what you pay. Apple Pay is when you, you tap it on yeah, the screen. That, yeah, Apple on, Cash, on, the, on the reader. Apple Cash is the person to person. <laughs> and there is a transfer bank option. It's a little bit more difficult to find, but there is one. Mm. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure Apple Pay has like one default card, like bank card that you pay with, but you can have up to eight, mm-hmm. which okay. is which can be a problem. Yeah. yeah. And Cash App, Cash App only allows you to have one mm-hmm. per account, yeah. which is what kind of raises their score. So, uh, Colin, do you want to kind of expand upon your uh, paper, your topic? Yeah, so, I, honestly, I uh, I really do want to get into consulting and uh, legitimately just being able to, uh, like, research aside, just being able to, uh, just not just finding the right data, but framing the question. Like, we, like, went through kind of like a rigorous effort of just being able to, like, make our conceptual model and, like, really dig deep into, like, what, like, what question actually needs to be answered. And, uh, like, I really wanted to do something that would help me career-wise, and I did. Uh, I learned about, um, like, comparing IT and OT and um, moving data around through uh, ISACs, things like that. So it was really good. Um, one of my findings, I'd say, that definitely um, we will have to keep in mind, especially you, Colin, if you're looking into consultant. <laughs> The Colonial Pipeline was the victim of a major cyber attack. And when the CEO and the founder was put on trial um, because he paid the ransom, he he said that they asked, how much do you invest in cybersecurity? He said $200 million. And they come to find out that this $200 million is a combination of IT and cybersecurity. So it's not $200 million in cybersecurity alone. So that's one of the big problems that I think we're going to run into is that cybersecurity is still seen as a branch off of IT and it's still like sub it's under it's not its own investment and that's I, I think that's something that we certainly no it should be more taken more seriously as like a a need for any sort of business because of the digital age we live in now and you know it's uh that's you know again back to like my topic about just like cybercrime in general that like people really need to take seriously that you can be seriously ripped off from it if you're not careful. And then uh, people just make a living off of you. The company's infrastructure is like, from the from the beginning, they need to be made based off security. Not just, oh, we're going to make not whatever physical. IT format that works for us and then add in like some security after the fact. It should be from the get-go. We're going to create this and then it's going to be based off cybersecurity and then cybersecurity and IT and OT are one. Yeah. Like what JJ was trying to say. So from, from the get go, it needs to be, Oh, we're, we're not going to have an IT. We're going to have an IT department and then talk about cybersecurity later. It's like our IT department inherently is cyber, like they're yeah. 100% cybersecurity. Pretty much everything has intellectual property to it. Yeah. So that's why it's should be of the utmost importance to have. I think that cohesion, though, then when you try to upgrade or expand your company, upgrade or expand your IT systems, and then sometimes the cybersecurity <laughs> aspect gets forgotten about. So you're upgrading your IT framework, you're expanding it, you're finding new solutions, but cybersecurity investments are staying the same. Because if they're not growing with those <laughs> IT investments, so that's why I think, I don't know. That's something you want to continue in the future and kind of pursue a career in well, my original question was was in college it said how does cybersecurity create a competitive yeah. and we know IT creates a competitive that's why every major corporation has an IT department but most 
a lot of major companies haven't acknowledged that cybersecurity <laughs> creates a competitive advantage. This is why they lack the will to invest in solutions and establishing a cybersecurity investment that's separate from IT. So I kind of took a little bit of a different approach um, and kind of went with um, kind of away from the whole of cybersecurity aspect in almost in a sense. Um, and I kind of really started looking at psychology, uh, psychotherapy, uh, kind of looking into that kind of thing. But of course, you know, being a cybersecurity major, I still wanted to be able to include something with, uh, you know, relevant technology. Um, and so this is where the idea of, you know, AI driven uh, mental health acts came into play. Um, you know, when you're really looking at it, you have a different, a lot of different options um, and, you know, reasons behind whichever app you choose. Um, you know, some of the things could be, you know, um, the fact that there's a nationwide therapy shortage or it should kind of go from, um, you know, ther therapy accessibility. You know, some people don't have the money. Some people can't get a ride. Um, there's a thousand different reasons why people cannot actually get the um, care that they need. And this is where uh, the AI-driven mental health apps comes into play. Um, and I kind of took a look at, you know, two different areas and I broke them up into kind of benefits and harm, um, you know, and I kind of broke it down by kind of these, um, you know, criteria. Um, kind of just like some of the benefits, um, again, is just the accessibility with these apps. You know, everyone's allowed to access them, just simply downloaded off the internet. Um, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's an, uh, immediacy issue honestly um and it really helps solve that issue um it i don't know if it will be able or ethical for it to diagnose someone with a specific disease or uh, a mental uh illness but i think that's definitely something that at one point i think i feel that ai will be able to accurately and confidently say would you rely on a mental health so it kind of depends. I don't think I personally would, um, just because I <coughs> prefer to talk to my friends and family about these, you know, issues. Um, and you know, that's kind of the reason why I would use one, but I could see why someone else would use one. Um, people adore and kind of crave the, uh, idea of someone to talk to, someone to vent, um, someone to allow, uh, to get their emotions out. And that's why I think that it's so vital for it to continue being developed and keep growing. I think AI can go really far psychology wise of like delivering like objective, like maybe diagnosis, like, oh, like you described like your, how you're thinking, like, oh, that's definitely anxiety. Yeah. Just, just, but reality at the end of the day, when humans are going through issues like that, they, they crave legitimate like human connection and like that's what heals that stuff. Yeah, and the only other issue I could foresee when it comes to diagnostics is that a lot of different mental health issues actually have a lot of overlap with other um, mental issues. Like, for example, one of the symptoms for uh, schizophrenia actually falls under the same category as uh, anxiety. Yeah, I've, I know there's connections between ADHD and ADD and autism mm -hmm. as well. 
And, you know, when you kind of put these things into an AI, how is it going to discern the difference between the two? So I, my question for you is, um, I know that if you go to the doctor or a psychiatrist and you say the right things, you can get prescribed basically any medication you want. You know, yeah. you say, you know, I'm dealing with this. <laughs> these bad panic attacks you can get. Yeah. Um, so how far off are we from where you can go to an AI <clears throat> and say the right things and then get prescribed medic. How far off are we from these from apps being able to prescribe you medic? And yeah, that's basically becoming sentient at that point. Yeah. But an AI is like that knowing of what you have, there's pretty much like a person. Well not really. It just has to listen. Because when a doctor prescribes you that they, they need mm-hmm. to hear those things. Yeah. So, so I I personally don't think AI at at this moment in time, um should be able to diagnose at all. Um, I think that it's kind of imperative that those, you know, the AI it doesn't make these uh, comparisons. Um, I think it should be used as a tool to help doctors um, figure out what the best course of action is instead of straight up diag- diagnosing someone. Um, but to go and match your question, how far do you think we are? Probably, honestly, <laughs> 30, 40 years, 50 years, something like that. Um, I just don't see how much more, I guess, it could, you know, AI could really get because, you know, um, we're only just seeing what AI can do just as of now. Um, so kind of looking into the future, we don't really know what it's going to get into. I, I think the big thing that contributes to that is when you have a doctor that prescribes you medication, you can be held accountable. Yeah. That that for that doctor can be held accountable for giving you too much meds the wrong meds. When an AI is prescribing medication, how do you hold them? Yeah. You know, and that comes back to one of the questions. Um, do you hold the people who made the app uh, reliable? Do you use the programmers who made the uh, uh, AI? Um, do you use the health insurance? Um, you, it really, it's too up in the air as of right now to really solidify something. What, what are the, um, like security measures or policies surrounding like, um, so I was, I was taking a look into this and the main point I was really wanting to cover was HIPAA. Um, because HIPAA falls under a lot of different jurisdictions and areas. Um, and basically, every single app in the United States that's been produced has to be monitored, or not monitored, but, you know, is protected by uh, data privacy rights. So that includes, uh, you know, mental health apps. And it also kind of covers the fact that these apps do use third parties, um, and they still have to protect your information, especially about something like this. Yeah. Well, good talking with you guys. Yeah, Yeah, good talking to you about this, yep. Thank you for listening to WMD, Weapons of Mass Disruption podcast. This podcast is produced by Dr. Tamara Schwartz and edited by me, Chris Perez. All rights reserved to Dr. Tamara Schwartz And you may access this podcast free of charge on any of your preferred platforms or by visiting us at lamrai.com. That is L-L-A-M-R-A-I.com.